Thanks for joining us today on episode five of the Collective Defense podcast. This episode's title is Ransomware, to pay or not to pay. The Collective Defense podcast, where we are defining the next generation of cybersecurity. We are all in this together. Awesome, Bill. How are you doing today? Glad to hey, be here. Hey, Joel. I'm good. How are you, buddy? <laughs> doing really good. Cool. I'm excited for today because we're going to do things a little different. Bill is going to tell you exactly why you should never pay a ransom. And I'm going to give all the arguments why you might. And uh, But we'll save that towards the end. Deal, Bill? Sounds good. All I right. can't wait. Don't pay. <laughs> oh, it's going to happen. All right. So here we go. Now, before we get to that, we want to get to a few pieces of news one of the ones that happened recently was Sophos detected something called NetWalker ransomware. And this is a ransomware family that's hitting large organizations across the U.S., Australia, and Europe. Bill, there's some interesting stuff that this ransomware does. Talk to me about it. Yeah, uh, Sophos is doing uh, some pretty good work here. They, they came up in the news a lot this week. So uh, I'm, I'm really glad to, to look through their, their analysis here. They showed that this tool, NetWalker, was using a lot of uh, kind of off common off-the-shelf tools to be able to go through and, and do kind of red team type stuff. It was looking to do you know, reconnaissance, sniffing out uh, valuable information, privilege escalation, stealing creds, brute forcing passwords, those kind of things, and, and targeting common services. Yeah, the common services being Tomcat, right? And legacy servers like WebLogic. So it was really interesting because when you're looking at these tools, it's like, okay, this is hitting large organizations across the globe, but it's not using any sophisticated tools. I mean, it's off-the-shelf scanners. It's PS Exec. It's Mimikatz or a variant of that. What was the comment you made? Like, this isn't an advanced threat actor. Who would you envision this being? Yeah, I was, I was going to jump in there. You know, I was reading through this article and it kind of sticks out to me that that this really doesn't really feel like an APT to me. This this kind of feels like uh, somebody who's been at home for a couple months and, and is feeling a little bit bored, uh, kind of like a, a red teamer that that kind of maybe said to his friends, hey, look what I can do. If you, if you see what they're doing, that the tools that they're using and, and the tactics that they're using, they feels very red team to me and not so much, you know, APT. You know, targeting services like Tomcat and RDP, you know, it feels feels kind of playbook to me, right? Oh, it's super playbook and it's low-hanging fruit. The interesting thing is, is that it keeps working. So a few of the CVEs that they're using is a remote code execution bug in SMB version 3, and that's in Microsoft server uh, message block technology. And then we also have a local privilege escalation vulnerability in Windows from 2019. The interesting one that I saw them still using was something from 2015 that was dubbed Russian Doll. And Windows still doesn't have a good answer for it. So it's nothing new. It's nothing crazy sophisticated. It's still the out-of-the-box stuff that's working on these large enterprises. Yeah, the good news is is that uh, because they're using a lot of these common attacks, you sh we we have detection mechanisms for them, right? So um, I was looking at some of the payloads that they were using. Uh, one of the ones that you mentioned, Mimikatz, and, and some of the derivatives, but they're also using things like Windows Credential Editor, PW Dump, um, some network scanning, PS Exec, Team Viewer, th those kind of things. We should be able to detect those kind of things being running in our environment and know who should be running those tools and, and who should not. 
you know, processes, who, who can run these kind of tools and, and detecting, detecting that internally. Yeah. And it was interesting. I was at a client site um, and one of our alerts fired on team viewer. And it was interesting because they knew they had it. They knew the system it was used for, but once they were done using it, like, and they only used it sporadically, but once they were done using it, they didn't remove it, right? It was just left on and they were still using it from time to time when that wasn't organizational policy. So it's one of those things like when you see it, act on it, right? Don't just let it, oh yeah, we know about that, but you got to act on it because those tools are still being used regularly. So yeah, once again, last piece I want to throw in there, you know, it said the attackers have been using heavily obfuscated PowerShell loader scripts. I'm not sure if you've ever obfuscated something in PowerShell, but TAC-O does the job really well. So That's I, right. <laughs> and it's, and as an administrator looking at it, it's hard to decipher that from other PowerShells running on in the background. So yeah, but you should also be looking for, you know, one that while it is hard to detect, it does indicate that something else is going on. If you do see obfuscated PowerShell, hey, maybe it maybe you might want to look into that. Absolutely. Can't agree with you more. All right. Well, let's jump into the next one real quick. I'd like to get to our, our topic here. But before we do that, you posted an article about eBay port scans visitors' computers for remote access programs. Is that really happening? Yeah. Th- once again, um, you know, th- this kind of came out, um, the, the, the news, uh, there's a lot of research going into this right now. And from what I'm, what I'm gathering, this was originally discovered by Jack Recider, who is, uh, pretty well known in the security community. He, he runs a, another podcast called uh, Darknet Diaries. Um, and he, he found that there was a, a local JavaScript that was, that was scanning the local, his local host when he went uh, to, to eBay. Um, there's been a, a, a lot of researchers that kind of looked at it, and it looks like they've determined that this JavaScript is scanning 14 different ports if you visit eBay from a Windows computer. Some of those programs that they're looking for would be uh, kind, of, kind of what we just talked about before, you know, looking for remote desktop protocols like VNC. RDP, TeamViewer, those kind of things. But it kind of begs the question, why is eBay doing this? Did you have a chance to read through the article? I actually did get a chance to read through that, but a few things come to mind. So we have seen a number of organizations get hit with MageCart, right? And MageCart is a card skimming software that's uh, basically put onto a compromised web page. This type of activity doesn't seem like something eBay would willingly put on their website. Yeah, it, it's definitely odd, you know. So as I as I was reading through and researching a little bit, uh, eBay, first of all, they they haven't uh, they haven't publicly disclosed if if they uh, if they purposely did it or you know why they're doing that. Um, but there has been some really good write ups of of uh, from a person called Dan uh, Nemec who did a write up, and he, he traced it back to a fraud detection product um, called LexisNexis. Uh, are from LexisNexis called Threat Matrix. The thinking here is that eBay is using this JavaScript to detect uh, previously compromised hosts. You know, so if if somebody is using your computer to access eBay, I don't know, man. I I kind of fall in. I don't think that I want my computer scanned by websites that I'm visiting. Kind of interested at in what your opinion is on that. You know, I'm not going to lie. We talk about the collective defense a lot. How interesting would it be if you visited a website and you got a notification on their webpage, hey, your device is vulnerable too, and (laughs) they scan your device and tell you that? I mean, how many people would go, you know, don't provide a link, don't make people click a box, but send them to a resource. Hey, go to this webpage. Like, here's what you need to do. Please update your device. Please update your Chrome browser. I don't know. 
I'm not opposed to it just because I, while I don't like my personal devices being scanned, could it help the greater public? Yeah, I don't know. It's an, it's, it's an interesting thing. You know, we, we've seen a lot of, a lot of things that do similar things that like this, that, that have been malicious though in the past, right? You take a look at, you know, what was it last year when, when we were seeing a lot of the crypto uh, mining that were being done with JavaScript, those kind of things really kind of goes to show that, I don't know, it seems like JavaScript running in your browser, it really showing the power of that, what websites can do to your local machine. I mean, now, now we have an example of it, scanning your local host, could it be changed to, to scan your, your local network, right? Um, and find vulnerable systems on, on your network. And do you want eBay or, you know, PayPal doing that? I, I don't know. Maybe if it was a, a security related website or something where, where I, I authorized them to do that, I, I'd feel a little bit more, you know, okay with that. Yeah. On the flip side though, like you're not going to authorize somebody malicious to do it and yet they're still going to do it. Yeah, right. Good so, point. Anyways. Yeah, good point. Let's jump in. I, I love this next article that you posted. This was in regard to the Ragnar Locker ransomware deploying virtual machines to dodge security. Clever. Once again, virtual technology is a very, very easy way to bypass security products. I'm sure you've seen this in your past work history as well. Yeah, what I liked about this one is it really shows the, the cat and mouse game going on with, with ransomware right now. There's a lot of products out there that are claiming, you know, 100% protection against ransomware. And what they're looking for is somebody accessing all your documents or those kind of things, looking to encrypt those and, and stop those processes from running. What I found really interesting about this, this finding here is that Ragnar found a way around that. Once it installs it, it brings along with it a Windows XP uh, virtual machine. Then during the install of that, that uh, XP machine, it gives access to that virtual machine, access to all your drives and, and maps them to uh, into that VM. And then it, it's able to run whatever code it's wanting to do, you know, the ransomware or whatever, directly against those those files on the host machine, right? Bypassing security products. I think it's clever and I personally like it, but I'm surprised we haven't seen more news around it until now, to be honest with you. Like how long has, win first of all, they're pulling Windows XP along with them, right? So this is not like it's a newer version of Windows that they're, that's able to do this, right? It's VirtualBox, free software, Windows XP VM. They're mapping the their hard drives to this VM and then encrypting it from there. I think it's clever and I think it's something we're going to see a lot more of. Yeah, future. I do. I do too. I, I, I think that it's kind of odd that, that they chose VirtualBox and XP. I, uh, you know, it feels kind of, hey, I wonder if this is going to work. I can really see this moving, you know, moving to some more specialized containers, those kind of things that, hey, you know, if Docker is available or, you know, something like that, it might be able to do this pretty easily and, and evade, you know, so I agree. I think this is going to be a trend that we see. And, and hopefully the AV vendors or the ransomware vendor, vendor, ransomware protection vendors look to solve this problem. So I'm just picturing this coming from a SaaS organization. Imagine though, using Docker or other containerization software to then do this in a dev environment, right? All your work in the last sprint is now encrypted. It's, an, it's going to be an issue. It will. Yeah, it will. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into one more piece of ransomware news and then let's get into our main topic this one is in regards to a Texas courthouse uh, being attacked and infected with ransomware. Yeah, uh, reading through this article, uh, there there was it was pretty light, you know. So essentially, what what happened was is they uh, their websites were taken down, um, and IT teams that 
you know, were apparently responding to a ransomware attack last week. Um, and I'm just, uh, you know, just reading through this, it kind of feels like, uh, you know, given the current situation, I, I feel like the the attacks, the number of attacks are certainly on the rise. It, it feels like we're kind of going back a step and and really ransomware is, is is kind of the payload of choice. Yeah, and to be honest, it should be. It's it's lightweight, it's not a lot of network calls, and it's easy to get paid for. I mean, let's let's talk about this. So back a few years ago, right, an entire city in Florida paid, I think it was only 65 Bitcoin, but it equated to $600,000. I think that was Riviera Beach or something. So before we go down that path, though, let's kick it off. To pay or not to pay ransomware. Bill and I both believe you should not pay ransomware. We're going to go ahead and act this out, though. I'm going to be the proponent of why you should pay ransomware. And Bill is going to counter that. Now, we haven't scripted this out at all. We just want to have this be a natural conversation of should I pay or should I not? You ready, Bill? I'm ready. Yep. Cool. So I want to start with your personal device. Okay. Your wife's laptop has been infected with ransomware. You keep all of your timeline of photos, right? You have everything from great grandma to your newborn baby on that computer. It's infected with ransomware. I say you pay it or else you're going to lose all of those files. Yeah, I mean that that's certainly a situation uh, where you, you probably want to be doing some some thinking about you know the, the pros and cons there, and you kind of caught me off guard with with that example. So so well done. Yeah, you know, like we we hadn't talked about this previously. So you know, the thing is, I'm supposed to be the one that that uh, says not to pay, but you're not sure if if you do pay that you're going to get a decryptor. You are not guaranteed to get those files back if you do pay. Um, and so also, you know, using, if, if we take your white, you know, your, your home computer, you know, whatever that be, whether it be yours, your, you know, your spouse or whatever, this really kind of sticks out of, well, you should have been, had some backups, right? You should have been using, you know, photos and those kind of things. I've moved all mine to, to online store, you know, Google photos is what I use, but it's kind of hard to say you should have at, at that point, but you need to consider how do you even get Bitcoin, right? If, if you're not involved in cryptocurrency, that's hard too. I um, mean, you're not guaranteed to get it back. I would say, um, bite the, you know, in that case, Joel, you know, especially if you're getting yelled at by your spouse, Hey, it might be something you need to consider. Wait, did but, you just say, did you just say consider paying ransomware on our first scenario? Oh, I, I know, man. I can't believe it. I can't believe that I, <laughs> you got me right away. That, that's unbelievable. Oh, but, you know, but it. It, you know, if it, if it's, if it's photos of grandma and your kids and those kind of things, um, that, that's a hard, that's a hard uh, pill to swallow. All right. So this is impromptu bill, but I'm going to run the, I'm going to have you run the next one on why you should pay, but I'm going to counter that. I don't think you should pay and why not? So there was an email, there was a, there was a scam similar to this personal devices, 300 bucks to get your decryption key. Well, guess what? Somebody complained to the email provider. They said, Hey, you, you know, this is the email that hackers are using. Well, that email provider brought that email down and everybody who paid was screwed because the, the hacker couldn't get into the email account and respond to these requests. So I still think, look, you're infected with ransomware to pay or not to pay. If you pay, other people are, it's going to continue to happen, right? So from my point of view, collective defense, like guys, if nobody pays, these types of attacks are going to stop someday. Well, maybe, right? So <laughs> uh, maybe. So so certainly the, you know, and, and um, you know, I forget which side I'm on. I guess I'm on the, you better pay side. Now um, we switched, but, <laughs> but 
you know, to the point, you know, the reason why ransomware is, is in the news a lot right now. And in fact, you know, just reading through preparing for today's podcast, I think we came across, you know, you know, almost 10 articles about ransomware attacks. The reason why they're so prevalent right now is because they're working, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the example you just gave 300 bucks, right? So 300 bucks, if it was 300 bucks to get back um, pictures of your kids when they were born, Joel, right? And, and that's the only, that's the only copy that you had of it. What's 300 bucks, man, you know, and, right. you know, and, and kind of counter kind of counter to what I was saying earlier, the decryptors generally do work, right? So, it, you know, the news will get out if, uh, you know, if you're paying for a specific version of, of ransomware and they're not delivering, right? The news will get out and people will stop paying. So I'm curious how you want to respond to that. Yeah. I mean, the decryptors work, right? It's not, it's not rocket science. It is only 300 bucks. Right. But, but once again, for me personally, as I'm once again, as a cybersecurity professional, you're right. My, my photos are in cold storage in my desk drawer on a hard drive. I do that twice a year, right. To make sure this doesn't happen. But to the people who don't, you know, the United States says, Hey, we don't negotiate with terrorists, whether we do or not, I'm not going to get into that debate. But if as a nation and as a world, we said, look, we're not going to pay ransomware anymore we would see, in my opinion, we would see these attacks drop off a cliff. Well, so I kind of disagree with you a little bit there because I kind of feel like that's a situation that we're in right now. I, um, I think that everybody, whether you're talking uh, about somebody like a cybersecurity professional like you or, you or me or, or your grandma or your mom, probably where we're at, you know, I would say that everyone's probably aware of ransomware, right? I think that, I think that people are aware of it. People are also aware that these uh, the people behind this are criminals, right? So this is organized crime. This is terrorism. You are funding organized crime if you pay. I don't think that, uh, you know, so certainly there, there are probably some people that have no idea and, and they just think that Microsoft encrypted their laptop and they, they need to pay it, right? But on general, I, I think that most people understand that this is crime. And I also think that, um, you know, if you take a look at the news, that most people kind of play the, the story that they're not paying. So I kind of say that we're kind of in that point right now where, we're, where the, the general feeling is don't pay, you know, that the, the guidance from the FBI is not to pay. If you were to ask a security researcher like you or I, we would say not to pay. But I also think the undercurrent is that most people are paying. I agree with you. And so let's head on to the next scenario because literally I teed myself up to win. You told me this was going to be a short conversation because (laughs) you had all the rebuttals. So now we're flipped. Let's talk Riviera Beach, Florida. This already happened. They paid, right? $600,000. The city got infected. You know, all of their records were locked up. They also couldn't even, something happened with their water supply system even, and it was impacted by this ransomware attack. Should you pay? Should you not? How about this, Joel? How about how about we don't take sides on this on this situation and let's just talk it through, right? So both of us are, are coming from, you know, from definitely from different backgrounds and I certainly don't want to play the side of the hacker because, you know, generally speaking, my advice would be not to pay. I agree with you. I don't want to fund criminals. But in that situation that you just mentioned right there, right now, people's lives are, are at stake. Now we have real impact to life. And a lot of times, you know, when, when it comes down to it, the, the cost may not be so bad. In that case, 600K, ooh, that's, uh, that's a hit. But I mean, it's taxpayer dollars though, right? 
Yeah, that, that's Absolutely. true. Um, kind of where I where I come down to this is if you're a company and you get hit, especially if you're if you're a large company where you, where you have an IT team and staff that, that can build or repair, regardless of the fact if you have backups or not, I feel like that's the better play. I feel like if, if I'm going to spend 600k, um, I'd rather spend that on my IT team, mm. rebuild rebuild with backups and, and that is resilient against ransomware, invest in being able to detect and respond and prevent that from occurring. And honestly, you know, we're, we're kind of at that point right now where uh, we definitely got ransomware fatigue. If you were to do a public announcement, a, a public disclosure that, that you got hit with ransomware and you're going to be down for two weeks while you rebuild and that you're taking a hard line and you are not going to pay, I feel like your customers are going to respect that and accept that. Yeah. And that, once again, I teed up a response to that, right? Hey, you're going to invest this money in your IT infrastructure. Great. But let's say last month you went to your IT department, not even last month, you knew they ran a test of your, your incident response plan, disaster recovery, right? You went to them and you said, you got to run this. You, you got to practice what we preach, right? We know ransomware's out there. And then this month you're hit by ransomware. You go to your IT team. You said, okay, how did it go? We just went through this, right? You guys made all the fixes required. We have backups, right? Right. And they come back to you and they said, well, our backups were unreliable. It took a really long time to restore the data. And by really long, I meant like, it took us like two weeks, right? We stumbled through it and we just finished writing the report, right? We just finished our, our, our debrief of the plan. We haven't made any fixes yet. What you're telling me is I have ransomware now. We did the disaster recovery plan, but you're saying it didn't go well. We didn't get everything backed up and it's going to take two weeks to turn the water back on to our clients and our citizens. You're right. I mean, do you pay? Do you not? Well, they did, but I'm going to say, look, you shouldn't pay. Take the time. You're right. I, I, I love where you went. Invest this back into your people, into your processes, you know, Make this something where it's ingrained in the culture of your organization because if you do, the next time it happens, and trust me, there will be a next time, you'll be much better prepared to handle it and respond. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so kind of going back to some of the news articles that we talked about earlier, um, you know, and I don't I don't want to pile on on Apache Tomcat, uh, you know, but it keeps coming up, you know, like it, as, a, as a pen tester, as a red teamer, you know. Apache Tomcat is such an easy target because it's so easy to deploy in an insecure fashion and, and gives you an, an ability, a foothold. You know, also, we continuously see things like RDP and old versions of SMB and those kind of things that we know that these are easy, low-hanging fruit targets. And regardless, if you, if you were to pay the ransom, if you were to pay and, and solve your immediate problem, right, get that water turned on. I mean, that one's a hard one because we're talking about human life. But if you solve that immediate problem, that the systemic issue remains, right? That you've still got your IT teams are not probably properly funded, right? It's, it's probably not a process issue. It's probably a funding issue uh, to keep these systems up to date and running so that you don't have this again, right? Can you imagine paying 600K this week, get it, you know, spending, now you're probably going to spend another, you know, let's just say 40K in IT team just to get it back operational and then the following week get hit again because you didn't oh. fix the problem. Yeah, right. Or they still have a foothold in there and they go for the double tap. That's right. Once yeah, again, that, that, that's another reason why not to pay, in my opinion. Like you got to call an incident response team. You have to, that's going to take weeks. 
And if there's still a foothold and you pay, yeah, we decrypt it today. We'll give you a second, let you collect some more tax dollars and then hit you again. The only caveat that I want to add to this, we were responding to a ransomware event in this tabletop exercise. This was not real. As the IR lead, I was in command of the incident and I learned a very valuable lesson in that exercise. So the scenario was that we had a, a bit of ransomware. We started to see it spreading. It was kind of hitting you know, IT systems, endpoints, those kind of things. And it started spreading and it, it ended up getting onto one of, the, one of the control systems for our elevator. And once again, this is a tabletop exercise that no, no, you know, that was just an exercise. In that scenario, my initial, my initial reaction was, you know, we, we got to stay focused. We've got to remit, we got to keep track of systems that are impacted. We've got to get control of how it's spreading. I stayed very IR focused and how is it spreading? How is it moving? What is its processes? But I didn't take in consideration uh, human life. And so now I, uh, what I failed to keep track of is that I had humans that were locked in an elevator and you know as part of the exercise that uh, uh, there was a person in the elevator that had a stroke they ended up dying once again it was exercise you know it was pretend no one actually died did you but, pay did you pay well so in in this exercise i caused a human to die because i did not pay wow right and so that that really changed a lot of my thinking in ir human life is where you start, right? So if, if humans are impacted in any way, you've got to address that fact first, right? Before you start working on, on the solution. And so when water is shut off, you know, when, when your water systems are shut off, solve that problem first. And if, you, if you're having to pay, it sucks. I don't want to do it either. I don't want to fund terrorists. But uh, if you don't pay and you're down for a month without water, people are going to die, right? And one, yeah. one death because you because you stuck stuck to your morals isn't worth it. Well, that's the interesting thing. The people running the ransomware scheme, they're not they don't care if people are impacted. That's their right. That's how they feed their family, right? So no, I think I think your points are spot on. So when it comes to responding to ransomware, what you're saying is that a human life has to come first. What is it gonna take to save those lives? And if you can't do that in a timely fashion, consider paying. The only problem is paying. It's still a gamble. Yeah, it's an absolute gamble. And, you know, especially, you know, kind of going back to your example, the, your first example, where I immediately folded, right? My, <laughs> my goal was to, was to not to fold and be strong, but I immediately folded. But, you know, pictures of grandma and, um, and kids and things like that. It's also hard. So I know that I think we've talked about this previously, and I don't know if we recorded it, but if we were pressured, I think both of us could figure out how to get Bitcoin and, and how to, you know, how to do that. I've seen, I've seen examples of ransomware that help walk people through like FAQs and things uh, for people to, here's how you buy Bitcoin. It's an interesting challenge to get people to overcome from a, from an attacker standpoint. I want to wrap up with this though, because it, it really kind of ties it all together. When you're looking to operationalize security protection for your enterprise, there was an article that was written on darkreading.com and they said there were five principles and I'm going to say they're missing something. But principle number one, rehearse your plan. You have to rehearse it. You have to rehearse it often. Well, they missed something first right away. They missed uh, have a plan, right? <laughs> so they, they missed that. Even a very basic incident response plan, who should be involved, who should be running it, uh, you know, and what, what the command structure is like. And then, yeah, rehearse it. Yeah. So let's add two steps, right? Have a plan, rehearse it, 
Watch the target was number two. Number three is don't rely on the perimeter. I think that's a really interesting one because we talked about it. You know, this ransomware is not very heavy when it comes to bypassing the perimeter, which means you need visibility into your network. Not only that, Joel, but you're absolutely right, but it doesn't rely on the perimeter either, right? So a lot of ransomwares, so there may be some initial C2 for sharing of keys and those kind of things, but it's not going to have an ongoing connect C2 connection. Once it's dropped, uh, however, you know, however that connection is done, now it's on the inside and, and it, like we saw earlier, it's spreading laterally, right? It's not making connections to the outside. Yeah. And I think that's the assumption that many people are making is that the threats are coming from somewhere else. Right. They're coming from outside, you know, this anonymous dude in a hoodie in some basement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. For those that that don't have the video right now, Joel is wearing a hoodie and he's in his basement. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm telling you, you should pay your ransomware. (laughs) Oh, geez. What are you getting me into, Bill? No, but, but, you know, once again, we're going to rehearse the plan, watch the target. You can't rely on the perimeter. So start planning to detect things inside your network now. You have to have the right mindset and the right people. So those are the five principles. Bill, tell yeah, so me some, what they're missing. Yeah. So a, a couple things, um, the right, so I'm going to, I'm going to get there, but you know, one of the things that I think that they also missed in this article, when you start talking about the right mindset and the right people is, um, you know, just assume breach period, assume that you're already compromised and that puts yourself in the right mindset. Um, and then that would also carry down to making sure that you're hiring the right people. If you were to take a look at your company right now and say, if I had a ransomware event, or if I had an APT event, or if I had a major cybersecurity event right now, do I have the right people on staff to respond to that? If the answer is no, then you're not, you know, you know that you have some work. I think that the main point that they're missing, Joel, is collective defense. As you look at all the things that we're talking about here in the news, we're all seeing the same thing. We're all being targeted with similar things. We're all researching the same problems and we're all like trying to fight the same battle. And we really, really, as an industry, as a nation, as a world, we need to start sharing this information together. Let's come together. We keep hearing everywhere. We're all in this together with COVID-19 happening, but it relates just as much to the cybersecurity industry and how we have to work together because we are all in this together and we're not going to see this stop until we can come together and collectively defend against it. I mean, if you think about the example that we gave earlier with the ransomware that was dropping XP, somewhere somebody's got a somebody has a research team that has this nailed they know exactly how to detect it they know exactly how to protect against it and they just all high-fived each other and said boss got it that needs to be shared there's companies out there that don't have the resources available to do that research or, or implement the solution right that has to be shared publicly That's what this Collective Defense Podcast is all about. We hope we inspire you. Thank you for joining us on To Pay the Ransomware or Not to Pay the Ransomware. This is Joel Bork and Bill Swearingen. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Joel. Had a great time. 